The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Intera, Geoscience and Engineering Solutions. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. And by Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. This is Session 183. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. I hope everyone had a safe and happy holiday and a safe and happy New Year's. We're kicking off 2021 in style here. In addition to our regular Bluefield on Tap segment, we have a terrific interview with Sam Schatz of Aero Farms. And if you haven't heard of Aero Farms, they are the market-leading vertical farming company. So this is going to be a terrific interview, and we're going to learn a lot about how water plays in vertical farming. But first, a hearty thank you to our sponsors. Again, those sponsors are Intera, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, CanDo, and Woodard and & Curran. And I'd like to th- for you to do me a favor. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please, please, please thank your boss or thank your contact at that sponsor firm and let them know that you appreciate their leadership in the water industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that little simple note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. Your five-star rating will go a great ways to helping others find out about the podcast and letting them know why you think the podcast is so great. Now it's time for this month's Bluefield on Tap segment with Bluefield Research's Reese Tisdale, who provides some lookbacks at 2020 and a peek ahead at 2021. Well, Reese, welcome back for another Bluefield on Tap segment. Uh, Happy New Year as well. How you doing? I'm pretty good. We're we're almost to the new year. I don't know what that means on. The first. <laughs> I think it'll probably be about the same, but that's it's still a step forward. Yeah, yeah. So we just finished up. Uh, uh, we had a, a great episode with Kathy Bailey, Alcho, and Deborah Coy, and they they kind of talked about what 2020 meant for utilities and the water sector, and they also gave a bit of a look ahead. And I just wanted to get your take on that too, since you were on our you were on our uh, 2018 year end panel, the year end water panel. So I'd like to get your take on on. Uh, how how 2020 went, what 2021 looks like, and any any follow up on what our our great guests said in the last episode. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, to start with, and I think I mentioned this to you a couple of weeks ago after hearing that recording with those guys. I thought it was great. I thought the tone was really interesting and definitely worth a listen for everybody. And I mean, it's hard to disagree with what a lot of what they said just about the state of the market. I mean, for Bluefield, I would say for us, I mean, I'll give you three three takes that I have. I could probably come up with 10 in about (laughs) five seconds. But really, I mean, to start with, you know, I would say midstream water for oil and gas industry really took it on the chin. And I think why does that matter for water? Well, I think last year we were looking at a approximately $12 billion a year water management sector for oil and gas in the U.S. alone, um, really upstream. 
completely collapsed, went into negative pricing for, for oil. Now it's stabilized at around 40 to $50, um, but it's going to be a tough road to hoe going forward. But I think there's other collateral impacts of that, and that means that, you know, does this benefit electric vehicle manufacturers or sellers? That are, does it impact renewable energy? Does it give them momentum that they may or may not already have uh, beforehand? So the energy sector could go through a shift. So I'd say that's one. Um, two, data and technology, without a doubt. I mean, in fact, you know, we're using it right now. Everybody's using it, whether it be our kids, whether it be remote workforces. The demand on data and technology is incredible this year and really accelerating. So hyperscale data centers, huge water users, you know, there's going to be increased demand for water management or solutions to cool those plants. But I think also what it's also enabling is workforce management, whether it be industrial water management facilities or municipal. So it's this combination of or confluence of factors that are really going to drive demands on water supplies, but also water treatment. And then lastly, I think this was a big part of your discussion in the previous year-end episode, and that is just municipal water. And this sort of starts, you know, as we start to look forward into 2021, I think the tea leaves are not looking good. We have, in fact, I mean, you mentioned the year-end podcast last year with, um, was it Celine from Cisco? Yeah. She, uh, I mean, Cisco just made an announcement yesterday or the day before about pulling back from smart cities. Now, that's not just water, but I think what it gets at is cities, municipalities are going to be financially stressed and that they're now going to have to be really targeted in how they spend their dollars and what they spend it on. So it's going to require upfront capital, large capital expenditures that are also complex. Like a smart city is pretty complex. There are a lot of players, a lot of factors that go into that. That's going to be tough. So those vendors or solutions providers that have, you know, if you're talking things like billing, I mean, that seems pretty simple, but there are a lot of water utilities that don't have very sophisticated billing systems. Those could be more efficient in what they do. Asset management, but just also anything operations and service oriented is is going to be uh, really critical. Yeah, I, I I really like how you um took a st- you know kind of panned back from from just a a, a laser focus right on the, the water sector like you know what what the nitty gritty elements are so you essentially you got the energy sector the technology sector and the municipal water sector um are the the three takeaways you had from twenty twenty so I, I I could go on and on about. Uh, a lot of this stuff, but let's, let's focus on the, the latter category you identified municipal water. What about, you know, I, I saw that, you know, Al Cho had made a statement and I think you, you quoted it when you posted something on LinkedIn was something to the effect of uh, the, the utilities that invested in technology coming out of the last recession reaped significant benefits in this COVID pandemic. And so what, could you explain kind of why you found that so significant or, uh, you know, what, what you think that means for the water sector going forward? Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought it was really, I thought it was, uh, I don't know, impression is the right word, but I thought it was a really good, um, observation where 
at times like this, it's a time to sort of step back, reflect, figure out what's needed, what's necessary, what can you do going forward. And I think in Al's comment, one of his points was about digital technologies. Well, the last recession was in 2007. I feel like, well, we were just feels like we were just coming off of dial-up internet in 2007. <laughs> and, and now the options are so incredible. There's, I mean, artificial intelligence is real. Amazon is Google, companies like that, that are actually active in the water sector in some cases. So utility, municipal utilities that can actually step back and say, okay, how can we utilize technologies now and really sort of figure out cost-effective measures that benefits them. You have to play the long game in the utility sector. I mean, there's without a doubt. And I think that sort of gets into stimulus as well. Once we get to infrastructure week again, there's a real opportunity there for improvement. And so planning ahead, and I think in Al's point was even rate mechanisms, like what are the costs, what's the cost or price of water for customers and what's the best way to do that? And I think there, if there are better ways to do that and more um, I think we're going to have to adapt to the, to the new paradigm uh, post COVID. Yeah. I, I think our water leaders are really going to need to, um, you know, think long and hard about what the future looks like um, and, and make the, the, you know, make, make the case to their respective boards that they need the money to invest in technology and, and do the homework that's so they choose the right technologies yeah, no, I think I agree. And there are ways to just – there's money being left on the table is the way I see it. It's not always easy, and it's – I think the part of it, one of the biggest uh, pushbacks that we come across at Bluefield when we do surveys, we also work with SWAN, the Smart Water Organization, that, you know, is culture. I mean, that's a lot of it, even within utilities and municipalities. We've been doing it this way for 50, 100-plus years Therefore, this is the way we're going to do it. Well, you know, the world is changing around us, so let's take advantage of the options. It's, it doesn't have to be negative. I think we can make this positive. Yeah. Well, that's that's a great message to head off into 2021 with. So, Reese, thank you so much for your time. It's always great to chat with you, and uh, I hope 2021 is a great year for Bluefield. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, like, thanks, Dave, mm-hmm. likewise, and I look forward to talking to you uh, in the new year. Yeah. Good, good deal. All right. See you, Reese. Take care. Cheers. Bye. As always, great information from Bluefield Research and Reese Tisdale. Now it's time for our featured guest, Sam Schatz of AeroFarm. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Sam, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. It is fantastic to have you on. I know we've talked for uh, a while about getting you on, and it's great to finally uh, ha- have you on. Uh, Sam, for uh, well, first Thank off, I, yeah, first off, let me ask how you're doing. Is everything going okay? We're coming up on the holidays in 2020. Everything is great. Uh, my wife and I just welcomed our, our newborn baby about seven weeks ago. So we're just, uh, you know, navigating, you know, being new parents and uh, also, you know, both of us working, uh, you know, from home. So it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. I've been able to find a, a noise free hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. Uh, that is that I, I have kind of, you know, as I've got three kids now and, and, uh, the youngest is almost a teenager and those, those early years, it's almost like I blocked them out. Um, with just the, the sleep deprivation and all that. So, uh, kudos to you. I appreciate the uh, extra effort you're, you're extending to coming on. Um, oh, no, it's, 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 it's good 
to, to think about something other than uh, than, than diapers. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. diapers, I guess. So. Yeah. Terrific. <laughs> awesome. Well, Sam, you're with Aero Farms. Um, yeah. And I would love to, to, before we dive into the whole Aero Farms uh, business and how they, how they approach water, I'd love to get a little bit on your background and how you kind of ended up at Aero Farms and what your role is at Aero Farms. Uh, yeah, well, absolutely. So, I, you know, I'm born and raised in New York City, uh, grew up actually with the, the theater industry. Um, my grandfather was the head of the Schubert organization. So I grew up going to a lot of like Broadway shows and got to see a lot of openings. And I think what that did for me was it gave me really an early exposure to like what people are capable of in terms of the productions and the risks that people take and the amazing outcomes. And uh, I think that um, just reflecting on like my path had a big impact on why I decided to go into, um, you know, helping, helping start new companies. And so uh, from there, I went, you know, growing up, I went to Columbia University where I was uh, very involved with uh, environmental issues. I was a student advisor to the Earth Institute. Um, and then uh, for graduate school, I went to the London School of Economics. And I actually, from there, completed a fellowship that brought me to Moscow, Russia, of all places. And um, that was building on my study of the language in college and wanted to go there and, and uh, see, see if I could survive for a few winters. And uh, actually, that's where I met. Um, Aero Farms. I was working as a fellow for a clean technology fund that had just uh, gotten launched with um, a semi-autonomous region in Russia called the Republic of Tatarstan. Uh, I met um, Aero Farms uh, through my work on that fund, and we weren't able to make an investment through the fund, but I helped them uh, sort of on a consulting basis for a while uh, raise their, their first uh, round of funding, and then once we were closing on our Series A, I moved back to New York City uh, from Moscow to help start the company as the first employee after the founders. Oh, wow. So the, yeah. you're employee number one. Um, that's yeah, awesome. Technically, or employee number four, if you <laughs> let's, let's not include them. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's awesome. So what exactly is Aero Farms? Uh, well, so Aero Farms is the world leader in vertical farming. Uh, we have uh, built... Uh, you know, since 2004, uh, numerous systems for growing many, many different crops. Uh, we primarily today commercially focus on leafy greens, and there we've been operating the world's largest vertical farm in Newark, New Jersey now for uh, about four years, and we're growing uh, food, uh, leafy greens primarily, uh, to uh, sell to retailers, food distributors uh, across the region. And we do that using our proprietary technology, which is a combination of uh, the latest in uh, aeroponic uh, technology, which is how we deliver the nutrients uh, to the root systems, and our proprietary racking technology and uh, LEDs. And um, altogether, that's for the growing. And then we also have um, seeding, you know, automated seeding, automated harvesting, packaging, uh, and the idea is from seed um, to the final product, we're growing food indoors in a controlled environment year-round and providing a safer, more flavorful, more reliably sourced, um, less resource-intensive crop than if it was grown in the field in California and shipped across the country. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, that will. That's why I wanted to, to chat with you because this vertical farming is, I, I find it fascinating. You know, you see these pictures of warehouses with, 
you know, big racks of, uh, uh, with led lighting up and down them and the, and the, the crops are growing out of them. And it's, uh, it's, I, I find it fascinating. And so, uh, I, because this podcast is about water, I, I, I really want to focus on the, the water aspect and yeah. what, what, can you talk a little about the basics of, of water usage at, at Aero Farms? Yeah. Well, let me, let me start by saying that, um, like Aero Farms was really created, uh, around question of resource intensity and specifically water. How are we going to feed a growing planet with, with um, you know, less arable land and certainly less water as, you know, populations expected to grow um, uh, in the next 30 years significantly. And so, you know, the, the, the idea that 70% of our uh, fresh water goes to agriculture globally and 70% of our fresh water contamination comes from agriculture, uh, the focus um, from David Rosenberg, who are, who's our, our co-founder, was to really um, select a technology that could have the biggest impact on water security and uh, his focus was then on ag and ag tech, which brought him to vertical farming and aero farms. And so it's core to who we are as a company. Um, we're, um, what, what the technology essentially allows you to do uh, is firstly, um, we, in terms of sourcing water, we're, we're able to use uh, uh, potable sources to uh, deliver uh, the irrigation to the crops. And, the crops that we grow in particular, uh, leafy greens, generally uh, are not able to use drip irrigation. They use traditional irrigation methods, so it's a fairly water-intensive crop. And they also have, you know, because it's water-intensive, you know, and it's um, they're using non-potable sources, it, it increases the risk of contamination as well because, uh, you know, there are, thing, there are things in, in, in non-potable sources of water that, uh, you wouldn't find in potable sources in terms of uh, contaminants. And so um, what it allows us to use is use potable sources, and uh, we can utilize much less water because the plants themselves only absorb a small percentage of the water when you deliver the nutrients to the plant. The rest of the water is then recaptured. It goes back into, um, uh, uh, into our centralized distribution system, and it's replenished with the macro and micronutrients that the plant needs to, um, you know, to, to be optimally uh, supplied with, um, you know, its solution. So that recycling, that constant recycling of water really dramatically reduces the amount of water. And we're also using a system called aeroponics, which um, is essentially like a, like a mist or a spray um, that goes uh, directly to the root system, provides better oxygenation of the root system, and that in and of itself is less water intensive than than a than a purely hydroponic system where the, the roots are immersed in water, um, which we think also means less um, evaporation. And the real loss in terms of water is is in the evaporation. But here we're looking at um, mechanisms to recapture the condensate when we, um, you know, when, when uh, we're dehumidifying the, the growing areas uh, and, and the other areas of the, the facility, and then we could reuse that, um, that water uh, repeatedly into the, into the reservoir system. So um, separately from that, there are, there are also projects that we're looking at where we're actually going to have uh, water catchments and uh, to collect rainwater so that um, the building itself is acting as a, a conduit to, to preserve water. Obviously, this is geographic 
um, based on the ge geography, essentially. So in some geographies, it makes sense to do that. In some, in some cases, it doesn't. Um, but certainly in some, it does. And, and we're, we're, we're uh, committed to do that. Yeah. When you talk about selection of the water source, you can use uh, potable water. I mean, are, are you are, are you getting to the level where you're kind of examining uh, like the drinking uh, water quality reports that municipal utilities or utilities are putting out uh, to, to select your source? Or are you, you know, how, how does that factor into, into, into the decision as to, in terms of, of where you're locating these things? Yeah, no, I mean, we, we treat, we certainly treat all municipal water that we use. Um, we, and we evaluate it as part of our site selection process. I will say with a, a combination of carbon filtration, water softening, and reverse osmosis, we can pretty much normalize uh, most uh, municipal water. Um, but it is a factor in our selection process for sure. Um, but it's not, um, it's, I wouldn't say it's a generally a, a too big of a concern because we're generally locating projects where we, we know we're going to have good, um, good access to utilities, including water. Um, so it is a factor, but it's not the most important factor because we're able to utilize um, filtration methods. Yeah. Can you talk a little about those filtration methods? I mean, what, what, what kind of process are you putting the water through once, once it gets behind, once it gets on your side of the meter? Yeah, so it's, it's um, you know, I'm not, I'm on the business development side, so I guess I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. We can't. Your, your technical guru at AeroFunds. But it is, I know we use carbon filtration, um, we use reverse osmosis and uh, water softening at times, uh, the combination of which and, and how we utilize it uh, really depends on the location. But those are three of the tools that we use uh, once we uh, have the municipal water delivered to the plant. Right, right. Uh, well, yeah. You know, you also mentioned uh, you're using, you're growing water intensive crops, the leafy greens. Um, yes. I, oh, what can you talk a little about? You know why why are you choosing the water intensive crops? Uh, you know wh wh why why does that make sense for your for for Aero Farms? Um, yeah, so I mean, we're it's it's not specifically that they're water intensive, which is why we're growing them. It's really that they're um, that we we feel like we have a value proposition with that particular subset of crops, and there are many other crops where we feel like we have a similar value proposition. Um, the, the most advanced of the technologies that we've developed has been for leafy greens. Um, and uh, it just so happens that that crop also is fairly water intensive um, and resource intensive more generally speaking. It's uh, shipped across the country generally. It's grown in uh, either the Salinas Valley or in Yuma, Arizona. It then needs to be uh, triple washed uh, before it gets packaged. And so what that means is the, the product uh, goes through three washing processes, really, and uh, is then packaged with a lot of that moisture and then shipped across the country where um, it's then uh, still with, with some of the, the residue is, is still is sold, um, you know, throughout, throughout the country. And so um, that, that's a, it's a water-intensive process, not only because of the triple washing, but because of how they're irrigating the crops. And... Um, I think what we found is uh, because of the difficulty of growing these plants um, there and how they're, and, and because of also the value, the, the, the cold chain and how they're packaged and all of these things, there's a cost structure there on a per unit basis that's fairly high that 
um, we think today a vertical farm has a very uh, good value proposition, and it kind of takes into account all of these different factors. Um, vertical farming is capital intensive. Uh, it's still energy intensive. It, the water intensity is, is very little, um, uh, but it is energy intensive. And so when you add up all those inputs, um, you're not you're not going to be competitive in every crop with a vertical farm, but in this product category we are, which is why we're focused on it. And we think that technology is um, increasingly positioned to be very competitive in many other crops. And that's a, the other side of our business is really developing um, new technologies uh, to grow new crops. And um, we're, we're vertically integrated, so we have all the engineering and design capability to, to develop that um, to develop that technology. So, um yeah, I, I think you are you hit on something that's really important for those of us, those of us in the water sectors because you know I, I kind of feel like folks in the water sector sometimes are in a silo and we're just thinking water you know just have uh, water on the brain so to speak uh, rather than realizing that hey w- 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 the water intensity isn't the only thing there's energy intensity and there's these, all these other factors that go in that go into the decision on how to do something and water's just water's one piece of it. Um, and so I think that's a really, water is energy. Yeah. 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 I mean, water's just, it, 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 I think, I thought that was just a great point that you made, uh, concerning it. it, It's, it's one aspect of the bigger picture in terms of how you choose to locate a facility and, you know, the resources needed to, to undertake the production. Um, you, you mentioned the leafy greens. What, what are some of the other, uh, you know, are there specific, you know, varieties of leafy greens, or what are some of the other crops that you've experimented with? Yeah, well, let me just uh, say one more thing. So I, I wanted to just oh, sure. that water is also energy. And I think in California in particular, a significant portion of their energy bill goes to the movement and treatment of water. Um, and that's from their big agricultural sector. So I, I just want to highlight that while, you know, our production is maybe more energy intensive because we have LED lights and we're conditioning a space, it, it, when you look at the, the overall energy impact and the overall carbon impact on farming, you have to take into account that water is an effect uh, energy because it needs to be pumped, it needs to be moved, it needs to be uh, treated, um, uh, and it has all these other externalities associated with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, answer, to answer your other question, um, so we grow hundreds of different varieties of leafy greens. Uh, we have grown hundreds of different varieties. Um, and that includes... Uh, products that you see on the shelves that we sell. We sell a brand called Dream Greens. Uh, you, you can get it at Whole Foods or Rest Direct or ShopRite. Um, that's like kale, arugula, watercress, pak choy. Those are the products that we regularly grow commercially. But technology is really able to grow a lot of different stuff, um, uh, heirloom varieties of crops that folks haven't seen before. Uh, we're also able to finely tune because we have such tight control over the environmental conditions. We're able to finely tune um, uh, what we deliver to the plants to produce optimal outcomes. So if we want to increase vitamin content, um, uh, change the color, change the texture of the plant, we're able to do that uh, with environment. And that's something that we're able to do with these systems for, for leafy greens uh, on, a, on a large scale. Um, but we also have, uh, I mentioned, other groups within the company that are developing new crops where we feel like we have um, a strong value proposition for the market, meaning we feel like 
Um, maybe not in all markets, maybe only in some markets, but we feel like there's a compelling reason why, whether it's because of unit cost of production, supply chain issues, security, food resiliency, where we feel um, there's a, a strong reason to employ vertical farming uh, to, um, to bring that new crop to market in that way. And I can't talk too much about which ones we're, we're looking at. There's <laughs> one that we do talk about publicly is strawberries. So strawberries is a great candidate. It's a similar, similar to leafy greens. It sells at a higher, a higher price point. It's difficult to source. Um, and there's a lot of really cool things you can do with environment to enhance uh, the value proposition of the, of the berry. And so that's something where we, we've been very active and there are many other crops uh, where we're, we're doing that type of work. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, it's it's fascinating to me to to learn about how uh, agricultural technology has has improved. I, I don't know if you're a Monty Python fan, but I, the first episode I ever saw of Monty Python's Flying Circus was the cycling tour, and there was a there's a little piece of the sketch where they talk about you know that some scientists had grown a way to to grow a square tomato, you know, so that they could package them and they wouldn't get smushed and all that. I mean, it's, so that's just what I, I, I'm going back, I'm going back to in my mind, just hearing Terry Jones talk about the square tomato. Um, sorry for the aside. Uh, so, so what, uh, you know, are, 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 are there crops that just are not, um, that, you, you know, you've, you've determined that, that are not suitable for kind of the vertical farming model? Um, well, I think, you know, what it, what it comes down to is, um, so firstly, I think the, the combination of LEDs and aeroponics, uh, our technology can grow anything. Um, that doesn't mean that we should be growing everything and that it makes economic sense to grow everything. But I do think the technology itself, um, if engineered correctly, uh, can grow any type of plant. And uh, I really mean that. The, the, the real difference is, does it make sense to do it economically? And there, you know, when you're talking about crops that are, you know, measured by the, the ton or something, you know, row, big row crops or commodity-focused crops, not specialty ones, I think there the, it, the bar is much higher. You really need to compete on a unit basis um, uh, at a much tighter margin. And I think the numbers in the long term, uh, I think there will be an opportunity for vertical farming to compete. In the near term, I think it's still uh, too soon. That doesn't mean that work shouldn't be done today to, to try to explore these things. But I do think, you know, in the near term, um, uh, there are other crops that, that should be focused on. Um, but, you know, the, the world is, uh, you know, there's an increasingly scarce amount of resources on this planet. And um, prices aren't necessarily static either. And if... Uh, uh, if, if prices go up for some of these types of commodities, it'll be really good if we have other technologies out there that can grow these crops at a, a competitive uh, price point and at a price point that could allow people to, you know, safely um, and economically consume them. Um, but, um, you know, in the near term, I, I think vertical farming will be part, you know, an increasingly growing important part, but just a, a part of of the solution in terms of how we feed the growing planet. And I think the, the focus right now is, you know, from our standpoint is how can we, you know, leverage the technology, the know-how that we have to, um, to help grow more caloric foods. Um, certainly leafy greens are, are extremely nutritious, but they're not 
the most caloric. And uh, we do feel like if we want to have a, a much broader impact, we need to we need to be able to commercialize technologies uh, for 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 many other crops. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's to dive back into the water side of things because um, what about water use? Kind of the, the water footprint, so to speak, of a traditional farm producing leafy greens versus arrow farms producing leafy greens. Have, is there any, any characteristics or have you done any studies to try and figure out how, how water use compares versus the two? Yeah, I, we've, we've, um, we've looked at, you know, the water, the water intensity of field-grown crops. It's, it's hard because it's not every year is the same and it, and it really depends, I think, on a number of different factors. It also depends on, you know, normalizing for the exact like product, like crop specification, but we've found that our way of growing is about 95% water intensive versus fuel grown farming. Uh, and we also have the production output um, of nearly 400 times uh, the production per square foot versus a conventional farm. And wow. the reason is we're able to stack our equipment uh, up to 14 levels and potentially more than that. Uh, we're growing year round. So we have. Um, you know, uh, 26 crop turns a year for some crops more actually wow. versus two or three in the field. And then, uh, we're also able to have greater density of production, less loss, uh, in the, in the, the process. So all of those add up for an incredible density of production, uh, with much less water usage. And, um, uh, and that's, that's what allows this to be competitive because what we're doing is, very energy intensive. It's very capital intensive, and so the, where we make up for that is the uh, ability to automate a lot of processes, to um, accelerate growth, and to have, produce a lot more uh, uh, per square foot basis. Yeah, I'd also imagine there are some like transportation related water, you know, water footprint costs that you can that you're you're competing on as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's. Um, I would say it's it's almost process related. So we 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 um, because we don't use any pesticides, we don't have to wash our products, mm-hmm. and because we don't have to wash the products, it means they're not being packaged with uh, with any moisture, and so we, it ends up resulting in a better quality um, uh, product in a lot of ways because you don't have that that moisture packaged in the product, and it doesn't degrade as quickly as a result, and you're also not scrubbing the the plant, and so um, we feel it has a, a better uh, impact in terms of, on the nutrition and, and overall product quality. Um, so what that ends up meaning is less product loss as well, so less food waste because we're not shipping it across the country. So if you look at the process and the shipping and all of that um, in terms of how much of the product is uh, that, that is grown actually gets sold in a store um, or gets into a consumer's hand, it's going to be a much higher percentage versus a, a field farm where there's a lot. There's just a lot more loss um, in the cold chain because they're growing it out in the field. There's loss, you know, from from getting it onto the field into the processing facility. Then there's loss when they wash it, and then there's loss in the cold chain. And then because the shelf life isn't as long because of that longer cold chain, there's loss just in terms of product um, that uh, that that retailers or food service customers have to throw away. And so when you look at that, you have to look at the water, the total water usage divided by the amount of pounds of product actually getting into a customer's hands. And um, and there we feel like we have a really strong uh, 
profile from a resource intensity standpoint. It's fascinating stuff. I, I've, I've really appreciated it. I think, I just think the angle, the whole energy, water, food security nexus is, uh, is, is something that's really strong in what you're doing. And so, um, I've, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Do you, do you have a leave behind message that, that you'd like to share with the listeners before you go? I, I would just say that, um, you know, that vertical farming is really in its infancy and, uh, the, the potential for what this technology can do, uh, even today is, is very significant in terms of its impact. But I think in the long term, uh, you know, as, um, LEDs become more efficient, um, as the technology scales and capital costs come down and processes get more efficient, I think this sector is going to really have um, a very significant impact on, on how we feed our, our communities across the globe. And um, definitely something that certainly um, uh, um, I have some bias here, but it's definitely a sector that uh, I feel is going is to have uh, a, lot of, a lot of impact over the next, over the next decade for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, Sam, I've, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. You've been, you've been terrific. And I, especially going on probably zero sleep since you've got a newborn. Um, but I really appreciate you carving some time out. Uh, it's, it's been great talking with you. Uh, for those folks who want to find out more about you and more about Aero Farms, where can they go to get that information? Oh, yeah. Well, Aero Farms is just uh, www.aerofarms.com, A-E-R-O-F-A-R-M-S. And, uh, you know, feel free to email me. It's just samchats at aerofarms.com. Um, no period or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, that absolutely. Uh, it's great talking to you too, David. And I, I think that this is a, a terrific podcast and uh, certainly an issue that uh, at Aero Farms is near and dear to our hearts in terms of how do we solve um uh, you know, the increasing strain on our planet and on our, on our water supply. So really appreciate you pulling this together and uh, look forward to hearing more podcasts of yours over the next uh, several months. All right. Well, well, thanks so much. I, I appreciate the kind words, Sam, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks, David. Uh, all right. Well, what a terrific interview by Sam. He's obviously functioning much better than I ever did when I had newborns. Uh, it was great to hear his insights on how water conservation plays with vertical farming and especially his perspective on how water conservation balances with other competing factors in the business like energy and transportation. So it was just a, a, a terrific, uh, a terrific interview that Sam provided. Well, let me know what you liked about the podcast. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values. You can tweet at me using my handle, which is at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And you can sign up for the water values newsletter at uh, the water values landing page on Bluefield Research's site. Again, Bluefield Research and water values are separate and distinct entities. We just uh, have a, a, a partnership with Bluefield um, hosts the podcast on its site. Well, thank you again for tuning in and a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, the sponsors of the Water Values Podcast include the, these great companies and organizations, Interra, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Can Do, and Woodard and Current. Terrific group of sponsors. Thank you so much. And I hope you all have a terrific 2021. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.
You've been listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.